know Brother Ahmad shared about Brother Troll this morning, and I'm excited that this church that we can have an impact. I was talking to my mom today, and my mom made a statement that really hit home with me. She said, "I'm." She was talking about their church, and they had mentioned Brother Troll this morning, and. My dad had, and I didn't even know this, my dad's been receiving Brother Troll's prayer letters and praying for him for three years. And I, she's, when I mentioned that I was at church, we were going to be uh, taking collection the next couple of weeks and send to the family. My mom said something that really, really caused me to, to think. She said, that's wonderful. She said, I know a lot of churches are going to do something. She said, she said, very few will do what your church is doing. She said, but what's... The reality is, she said, in a few months or a few years, uh, Mrs. Troll will be lost in the shadows. And uh, so I'm praying that we can be a real blessing. It is going to be a very, very long and difficult road. And I want to share, uh, before we look at Amos 6, would you turn there to Amos chapter 6? We'll read it in just a moment. Uh, I want to share a message uh, of the last phone call. Brother Troll made before he went to heaven. Brother Scott Polly, Brother Polly is a, uh, a countryman of mine. Brother Polly is from West Virginia. And we grew up, Brother Polly and I grew up about two hours apart. Brother Scott Polly put this up yesterday. He said, Stephen was more than my friend, he was a brother to me. He said, There was rarely a day that we did not talk, there was never a project that we put out that did not have his fingerprints on it and his heart in it. And just minutes before Brother Troll lost his life, before he was killed, he said just minutes before he saw Jesus, he said to me on the phone, he was on the phone with the Pauly right before it happened, we just need to do more. We just need to do more. I want you to see Acts chapter 6, or Amos chapter 6 and verse 1. With that bit of backdrop and thought, and by the way, there is much to do, I want to talk about being at ease in Zion. Amos 6, verse 1, the Bible says, Woe, woe unto them that are at ease in Zion, and trust in the mountain of Samaria, which are named chief of the nations to whom the house of Israel came. Let's pray together. Lord, tonight I believe with all my heart, that we need to do more. Lord, I believe there's much more to be done for sharing Christ around the world. Lord, I believe there's much more to be done to share Christ here in our city and our community. I believe there's much more to be done to glorify you with our lives and our families and our business and in our relationships. But Lord, we confess tonight that it's awful easy to become at ease in Zion. It's very easy, Lord, for us to get comfortable, to want to do nothing. Lord, I pray tonight as we broach this subject, as we think about the reality of the great work that is to be done, Lord, as we think of David, young David, before he would walk down into the valley of Elam. Lord, the words that he would say to his brothers, is there not a cause? Lord, I pray tonight that we'd see the cause. 
I pray that we would get shaken out of our slumber. I pray that we would get out of our comfort zone a little bit tonight. God, would you help me? Lord, would you use your message in my heart? Change me. Lord, I pray that you'd minister to the hearts of those gathered here. Lord, I love these dear folks, my family. Lord, I want the best for them. Lord, I want us to honor you and glorify you with all we can, with all our might, with all our strength. God, help us to do that. Lord, I pray for so many that aren't able to be here this evening, so many that are sick, so many that are even watching our live stream right now. Lord, I pray you'd bless them. I pray you'd use the word of God in their hearts as well. Lord, help us this evening to not be at ease in Zion. In your precious name we pray. Amen. People of God, for the most part, we are at ease in Zion. God's people have, for the most part, withdrawn from any and all recognition of Christian responsibility. We've said, that's not my job. That's not my problem. That's not my responsibility. We have become non-active. Non-active in most of what God has placed as his priority in the everyday Christian society. We folded our arms, sat down in our recliners, our easy chairs, our couches, kicked our feet up and said, all is well. It's all good. But it's not. It's simply not so. Everything is wrong and ill at ease, even here on the home front. Satan is at work at a record pace. We look at events like last week and we say, wow, it's horrible over there. We look at places where freedom is non-existent. And we say, wow, it's, that's a bad place. I remember the first time, I think I only, maybe it was only once I was there, maybe twice. But I remember the first time I was ever in a Buddhist temple. Now, I was in a Buddhist temple on a recovery mission. Young, young boy that I brought to church, his family rode our church bus. His father got upset because they came to church as he had gotten saved. His mother had gotten saved. Many of his family members had gotten saved. and He was the oldest son. And his, his father had taken him from the home. They were from Cambodia, living in Chicago. His father took him from the home and took him to a Buddhist temple and checked him in like you would check your coat at a fancy restaurant. And said, here, you take my son. He's going to be a Buddhist priest. I think he was 13 or 14 years old. His mother had no power to do anything. I found out about it. I was, shall we say, righteously indignant. We'll use that word, Ahmad. At the time, I would have said I was mad. And I went to that Buddhist temple. I spoke Kamai. I still speak a very, very, very little bit. 
And I went and told them that I was there to visit Conquilla. And they allowed me to come inside and wait while they went to get him. Now what happened was when they came out, when they brought him to visit me and they left, I walked him out of that building and took him home to his mother. But while I was waiting, about 20 minutes, I listened as they chanted. And can I tell you what they were doing? They were talking to their dead ancestors. That's what they thought they were doing. They were not speaking to their dead ancestors. They were speaking. And I promise you, one of the most chilling moments of my life was when I was there and I heard what went on because I am positive that I heard those that they were speaking to speak back to them. Demons. It was one of the most demonic experiences I've ever been around in my life. I was literally physically trembling as I was in that building. We think of places where around the world of demonic activity. We hear about things like that. But Christian, we need to open our eyes. It's not just around the world. It's not just in foreign countries and in the dark heart of places that have not the gospel. It is your neighborhood. It's my neighborhood. It's our city. It's our country. We need to be involved. Why? Because... There's a lot more we need to do. Why is it? And I'm going to give you three very simple points tonight. Not a lengthy message, not a complex message, but I believe a needful one. Why is it that we are at ease in Zion? Why is it that we take such a disjointed, unplugged, uncommitted, uninvolved, take in the Christian life, in ministry? Number one, I believe we've taken the attitude that there's nothing else to be done. Complacency. Complacency. How many of you parents, many of you are parents here tonight, how many of you parents, when your children were little, you told them to clean their room. And they came to you and said, okay, daddy, okay, mommy, my room is clean. And you walked into their room. The bed was not made. There's clothes on the floor. There's trash everywhere. There's cups and plates and bowls. How many of you know what I'm talking about? How many, how many of you wives, your husband does that? That's what you're thinking of. And you say to your child, this isn't clean. And they say, oh, yeah, I cleaned up the stuff on my dresser. But how about the bed? How about the clothes? How about, but they say, no, it's, it's good. It's better than it was. It, I'm done. I finished I, I'm completed. We become complacent. Here's a phrase we use. And, and I've done it, not audibly, but I've done it in my head. And I'm willing to bet that many of us that have been saved for any length of time have done it as well. 
we use the excuse, I've done my time. I, I, I used to do that. I did it. I, it's time for somebody else. I, I, you know, I, it's time for the younger generation to get involved. And I, I agree, but it's time for all of us to be involved. I'm excited that we have an opportunity to get our young folks involved in ministry at Cornerstone Baptist Church, and I believe we ought to do that. But may I warn us, Christians, those of us older than the uh, 18, 19, 20-year-old age group, some of us that are getting a little bit of snow on the bottom of the house here, and uh, no, no snow up here because I'm bald. Uh, some of us are getting a little bit older. It's time for us to be involved too. But we get complacent. Sadly, I see complacency in the pulpit. It's amazing to me what many churches, and I mean churches that at least were gospel-preaching churches, much of the quote-unquote sermons across our country and across our world are nothing more than a 20-minute TED Talk with the name Jesus in it. That's reality. I'm just telling you right now. I, I, I watch and see certain things. It's, it's become very complacent in the preaching of the Word of God. It's just nothing more than motivational speaking, it seems. Sin is, oh, you know, that's, you know, we messed up. No, sin is sin. When Nathan pointed the finger in David's face, he said, thou art the man. You've done it. You've sinned before God. We, by the way, we got complacent in our church attendance. Pastor, what's that have to do with being at ease in Zion? Because we, it doesn't really matter. How many of you, if you work a, a job that you work Monday through Friday, how many of you are planning on going to work tomorrow? Unless you're scheduled vacation, unless, unless you're off for some reason, or unless you're dying. By the way, I got a timeout. How many of you noticed me laughing at the beginning of the song? Anybody notice that? Can I tell you why I was laughing? I thought to myself, it's a good thing we didn't sing that song in 2021. Brother Ahmad, face to face. That would have been bad. Anyway, back to the message. But unless you're sick or dying or you've got a vacation, if you work on Monday to Friday, you're going to go to work tomorrow. Right? I hope so. And hope if you don't, I hope you get fired. hope they find somebody that will show up and do a job. I uh, hope they don't just keep you on because uh, I hope you, hope you show up for work. But yet we don't show up for our service for the Lord so many times. We just, it ah, doesn't matter. Because we get complacent. We get the attitude, well, there's really nothing else to do. It's finished. It's done. There's nothing. I used to work for a company called True Green Kimlon, and we, largest lawn care provider in the United States, and I think True Green, Kimlon, the Kimlon brand was never in Canada, but True Green was. I think True Green still exists here. And we treated lawns, fertilizer weed control, all that kind of stuff, and, of course, that's a seasonal business. Now, in Edmonton, that's a very short seasonal business. Uh, but where I was in the Chicago area, it was a seasonal business that kept us very busy up until about uh, the middle of November. And about this time, I'd be laid off. And I would be laid off until about the 1st of March. 
Now, during that time of layoff, they would keep us working one day a week. I would work one day a week, which would pay for my insurance, and I'd have a very small paycheck, and I would draw uh, unemployment uh, work, uh, during that time, which wasn't much. And uh, Of course, we made more money during the early seasons. You had to plan accordingly. But when I go to work that one day, when we would first show up in November, we'd get to work, and we'd go in the office and, or into the shop, and there'd be all kinds of things to do. Man, we'd be cleaning, we'd be fixing, because I'm a, a very mechanical and good with my hands. I, I'd be out rebuilding the pumps and seals on the, the, the sprayers and the trucks and fixing, helping the mechanic. I'd be working on all kinds of stuff, servicing vehicles. There was a lot of work to be done when I would go in. And then the next week I'd go in, we'd have this work to do. But it got to a point about a month before we went back to work full-time that we would show up for work for our one day. And we'd get in the office, and my boss, Greg, would be there. And I'd say to Greg, Greg, what do you want me to do? What needs done today? And he would say, just go out in the garage. I don't want to see you. Just... I don't care what you do, just, there was nothing to do. So we would set out, I'd walk around, try to find something to do, guys would be playing cards, uh, there was nothing to do. It was just that wall of, well, you're here, we're keeping you on one day, but there's really nothing for you to do, so nothing matters. Just, I don't want to see you, just, just don't come in, stay in the garage, that way we don't see the shop, we don't have to see you. Some of you worked in places where that's been the case once in a while. A lot of times in Christianity today, we feel like it's all been done. We're not going to say this out loud, but most of us think, well, my neighbors have a Bible. We live in a Christian country. That's what we say. We don't, but we, we say that in our head. We say every, everybody knows who Jesus is. I mean, turn on any sporting event, and you're going to see some billboard. At least it used to be that way. I don't watch sports hardly ever, but 15, 20 years ago, every, every sporting event you watched, somebody was holding a billboard that said John 3.16. I mean, I mean, surely everybody knows Christ. Surely everybody's a Christian. Surely everybody's, they've had a chance. It's all been done. But it hasn't. We've become at ease in Zion. We become complacent. We feel like there's nothing left to do. We feel like there's no one left to reach. We feel like that all the work's been done or somebody else should do the work or I can pull back and let somebody else fill in for a bit and I can take it easy for a while. And we become complacent. Come complacent. Can I tell you the greatest thing that we can do, the greatest ability that God wants to use in you, Christian? It's availability. Now, God used the Apostle Paul. I, no doubt about it. I, I'm not saying he didn't use him. The Apostle Paul was an educated man. He, he had many abilities. And yes, God used him mightily. But did you know that God did not need Paul's intellect? Did you know that God also used a man named Peter? 
a man who grew up on a fishing boat and probably knew how to cuss better than most adults by the time he was five years old. A man who cursed and swore and denied he knew Jesus Christ. A man who went out fishing naked. Brother Mott, I love to fish, but I ain't fishing naked. Uh, he, he, he was quite a guy. I don't know how much skill Peter had. He was, I believe, a natural-born leader, but he was unlearned and uneducated men, ignorant culture said of Peter. And yet God used him. How? Because he was available. We, we love to think about men like Deal Moody. I love, I probably am in the boxes upstairs waiting to get an office or a, a library if we ever get things done. And by the way, our permits are into the city waiting. I probably have four biographies of Deal Moody. I have, there's many, many biographies. There's this official biography, but there's several. I've got several books of Deal Moody. And we think of, man, Deal Moody. Deal Moody during his day, by the way, was effective for the gospel on two continents. You understand that was before the advent of all the modern things we have today. And yet D.L. Moody shook two continents for Christ. And yet it said of D.L. Moody that he could say the word Mesopotamia in one syllable. He dropped out of school. He had no education. He was very unlearned. But he was available. He was available. We get complacent, but God needs our availability. God needs us to be willing and submissive. God needs us to be willing to be empty so he can fill us. We become complacent not only in the pulpit but in the pew. As believers, we think, you know what, we'll, we'll support a missionary and a missionary will do the work. We see men like Brother Troll when he was serving Christ. He said, well, I'm glad Brother Troll's doing that. He can go for me. But the Bible says that we are to go into all the world. It says going into Jerusalem and Samaria and, 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 not one or the other. We're all to be involved in this thing of reaching the world with the gospel. But yet we become at ease in Zion. We get complacent. We want to be entertained. We want to be catered to. We want to be served. We, we want to have programs to help us. Christian, wake up. Wake up. Lots more to do. We become complacent. Number two, we've taken the attitude. Number two tonight, we've taken the attitude that there's plenty of time. We've taken the attitude that there's plenty of time, or if you will, procrastination. Ha, huh, we got lots of time. Lots of time. The Bible says that the harvest is white. By the way, when the harvest is white, that's almost too late. It's already almost past time. Proverbs 21, verse 27, verse 1 says, Boast not thyself of tomorrow, for thou knowest not what a day may bring forth. Some of us are living like we have 100 years to live. Some of us are acting like we have eternal life on earth to serve him here. But we don't. I'm 47 years old. I know I look like I'm 67, but I'm 47. 
I don't know how long I have left down here if the Lord tarries is coming. I have no idea. But I would be real shocked if I had more than maybe 30 years. I'd really be pretty shocked. You see, time is short. Yet we take the attitude that, ah, I've got lots of time to get that done. I want to ask you to think about something with me. I want you to think about something sometime, maybe, maybe 30 years ago, maybe 10 years ago, maybe two weeks ago, but I want you to think about something in your mind that you said, you know what, I want to do that for the Lord. I'm going to do that. But you put it off. I can sure think of a lot of those. A lot. And I'm guessing if you're honest tonight, Christian, you could say the same. So, you know, I'm going to do that someday. Someday. But the moments are ticking away. And you will never get them back. You will never get the opportunity back. Romans 13, verse 11 says, and that knowing the time, that now it's high time to awake out of sleep, for now is our salvation nearer than we believe. Romans 13, verse 12 says, The night is far spent, the day's at hand. Let us therefore cast off the works of darkness and let us put on the armor of light. Ephesians 5, 16, redeeming the time because the days are evil. And this... <coughs> is the paradox. We are in a rush for everything in our world except the work of God. Everything we have to rush, rush, rush. I used to drive in Chicago traffic every day. Brother Mike, I don't miss that. I, I hated it. And I had to drive like a maniac. When I would get off of work, I had, I had to get home. I had to get changed for, I went to evening classes in college. I had to drive through horrible traffic. I had to get home. I had to change clothes. I had to drive again another half an hour to get to college. And then I had to drive back and I had to go to work early in the morning. And I used to drive, I'd get on the, the exit ramps where you're going to like, you're going to go and get off an exit. I'd drive on an exit ramp. I'm not telling you should do this. I'm telling you what I used to do. I'd drive on an exit ramp. And when I get to the exit, I get on the berm on the side of the road and I drive on the berm until I got to the entrance ramp coming off of that exit and I drive on that. That's how I drove home a lot of times, flying. <laughs> such a rush. We're always in such a rush in our business. Our young folks, young folks in such a rush wanting to be adults and wanting to do adult things out of order and out of time. We want to get in a rush and we want, oh, I, gotta, I, gotta, I gotta get ahead, I gotta do this, I gotta reach my goal, I got, I've gotta, I gotta. It's always chasing our tail. Everything is rush, 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 push, 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 except when it comes to the work of God. And we keep putting it off and putting it off. Christian, we, we know folks who have heard the gospel and they say, not right now, maybe another time I'll trust Christ. And we say, hey, why don't you trust him now? Today's the day of salvation. I pleaded with folks who said, oh, pastor, one day, 
One day, maybe I'll believe. One day, maybe I'll trust Christ, but not today. And I've pleaded, do it today. Don't put it off. We've done that. You've been there. Maybe you have lost friends or lost loved ones as you pleaded to come to Christ. And yet, we who know the Lord Jesus Christ, we get at ease in Zion and we put off. We put off the work that God has for us today because ah, there's lots of time. Number three, we'll close with this thought tonight about being at ease in Zion. Why are we at ease in Zion? Why are we not doing more? Because we've taken the attitude that the pay is too small. We've devalued. I used to run a renovation business when I was finishing up my Bible college degree. When Rebecca was born, I was doing renovating and I would go do estimates. Those of you that work in that industry, how many of you love doing estimates? If you raise your hand, I'll punch you in the face after church. I hate it. I'll go back there and punch you, Peter, right now. Would you punch him for me? You're closer. <laughs> Mom, would you smack your son, please? There was one guy. He used to ask me to give him estimates. A friend of mine, his name is Sergio. Sergio grew up in Chicago, had a, started a limo business. Out of his limo business, this is back in the 80s, he started uh, selling cell phones and pagers when they became a thing out of the storefront of his limo business. That became so successful that he sold the limo business and opened standalone cell phone and pager stores and I mean several of them. Back then when I was dealing with him, he owned, he owned hundreds of properties and managed thousands of properties. He was a very brilliant, brilliant businessman, very shrewd businessman. He asked me to give him estimates. I would go, and it takes a lot of work, a lot of time to do an estimate. And by the way, you don't get paid for estimates. It's just time that throws away. And I gave him estimate after estimate after estimate, and he never gave me work one time. You know why? Because he was getting illegals who weren't legally allowed to work to work for him for very, very low pay. And he looked at what I was going to charge and what he could get somebody else to do it and said, I'm not hiring you. One day I was, only time I've ever, when I had my business, I ever had, I had one day where I had no work. Only time it had ever happened. It was going to happen that week. I went to Sergio and I said, hey, Sergio, I said, do you have a job that you need done now? Something that's pressing, it has to be done. And he said, yeah, I have a house that needs painting. The outside, the whole outside of the house needs painted. He said, could you get it done in a week? I said, what do you mean? I can have that done in a day. He said, a day? He told me a small house. It wasn't big. And I said, yeah. So the guy that works for me, we'll, we'll have it done in a day. He said, you have it done in a day. How much will you do it for? I told him. I gave him a better price than I would normally do it for him. And I said, I need work. I need a day. If you'll give me a day's work, I'll meet you at the property tomorrow. You show me what you want. It'll be done. I went and did that work. He came back to meet me that night. It was done. Can I tell you that I never worked for anybody else but him from that moment forward? He said, you go into my office, 
You tell the men in my office, whatever work you want to do, you take it, you do it, you charge me whatever it's worth. I'll pay you whatever you want. Because he understood the value of the work. Can I tell you, Christian, that we often misunderstand and devalue? We devalue the work. How many of you grew up in church? Some of you did. How many of you grew up going to Sunday school? Like our kids now in class? I want you to think about the Sunday school teachers that taught you the word of God, who prayed for you. Maybe the Sunday school teacher that shared Christ with you. Think about your pastors. Some of you have been in church for many years. I've had several pastors. I think of the pastors that invested in me. Think of your parents. If you have Christian parents who invested in you. But that meant the world. That may have meant eternity for you. It did for me. And yet we think that there's no value. What's the big deal? It's, yeah, it doesn't really matter what I do. Our young folks right now in Patch Club, Miss Helen, Miss Carol, as they're leading up there, are doing invaluable work. Invaluable work. Brother Colton on Sunday during our children's church is doing invaluable work. The Sunday school teachers doing invaluable work. By the way, when you share Christ with someone, you're doing invaluable work. There's no way to put a number, a price on that value. We don't want to do something for nothing. We don't want to waste our life. When I was 18 years old, I was going to graduate from high school. I went to a Christian high school. All my teachers were born again, believers. But sadly, even in a Christian high school, the emphasis gets placed the wrong place. Most of you are going to have our time believing this, but I got really good grades when I was a kid. I wasn't a good student. I just, my brain works differently than most people. So I, I got very good grades especially in mathematics. Well, I got straight A's, so I guess there's no balance. But I, math was very easy for me. I was doing college-level math when I was eight or nine years old in my head. I, math was not a challenge. I could do anything with math. The day of my graduation from high school, I'm wearing my robe. I'm carrying my cap. I'm 30 minutes away from going up to give a speech, walk across the platform, receive my diploma. My math teacher, she was the school administrator's wife. She's in heaven now. She died of cancer a couple years later. She came to me with tears in her eyes. And she said these words. And I don't want to dishonor her memory by sharing this, but she was a good lady. Don't get me wrong. I loved her. She loved the Lord. 
But she had the same problem we have. We get our priorities out of whack. And with tears in her eyes, she came to me and she said these words, Christian High School. Brian, don't throw your life away and be a preacher. Don't throw your life away and be a preacher. Can I tell you that nothing can be farther from the truth? One never throws their life away when they serve Christ. Rather, it values your life. So often we get at ease in Zion because we feel as though there's no value in what we do. And there is, here's the thing, what's in it for me? What's in it for me? What do I get out of it? It may cost you something to serve the Lord. Psalm 116 verse 12 says, What shall I render unto the Lord for all of his benefits towards me? I will take the cup of salvation and call upon the name of the Lord. I will pay. I'll pay my vows unto the Lord now in the presence of all his people. Can I tell you, he blesses you every day. He blesses me every day. Psalm 68 verse 19, Blessed be the Lord who daily loadeth us with benefits, even the God of our salvation, Selah. Psalm 103, verse 5, Who satisfieth the mouth with good things, so that thy youth is renewed like the eagles. Psalm 107, verse 9, For he satisfieth the longing soul, and filleth the hungry soul with goodness. Many of us could say God's met our needs. He sure has. His blessings will continue. His blessings are never going to run out. Psalm 103, 17, But the mercy of the Lord is from everlasting and everlasting. Unto them that fear him and his righteousness and to children's children. To such as keep his covenant and to those that remember his commandments to do them. We've taken the attitude the pay is too small. We've devalued it and we've forgotten. Here's the main thing. We've forgotten he's coming again. He's coming again. We have the promise that he's coming how can we falter? How can we sit back? How can we be at ease? How can we say, doesn't matter? How can we say there's plenty of time? How can we say there's no value? It doesn't matter. It's what's in it for me. When he's coming back, I said, Pastor, when? I don't know. And by the way, if I told you I knew when he was coming back, I'd be a liar. I'd be a liar like all the other charlatans that have said they know when Jesus is coming back. We have so many people looking for signs of his coming. I'm going to get this statement. And I'm not, I don't think the Lord's mad at us over this, but I, I believe this is true. We have so many where, oh, you know, what are the signs of his coming? Is Jesus coming back? We need to stop looking for the signs and start listening for the shout. I'm just telling you, he's coming back. Paul believed it. I believe Paul believed that before his eyes closed in death, he might see the Lord Jesus Christ returning in the clouds. There's nothing preventing him. Are we at ease in Zion? He's saying, Pastor, does that mean we never rest? We, we, never, we never pause, we never rest? 
Let me pull up one thing quickly here. A few days ago, I sent a message to a dear friend, a brother of mine that I love. Pastor friend. I sent him this message. I told him, I said, sometimes the most spiritual thing you can do is rest. It doesn't mean we never rest. I'll tell you a quick illustration and we'll close. Yesterday morning early, I was just a couple of kilometers from the entrance of Cypress Hills Park. I was on Eagle Butte Road, not far from Eagle Butte in Cypress Hills. I got out of the vehicle with my friend Brandon, and he and I were going to walk up this road. It was a road covered in snow, not a road you could drive on. And we're going to walk up a long way. And our goal was to look and find a mule deer. We had a long way to go. We walked, I guess, altogether at least seven or eight miles. And as we started out, he was excited, and we're, we saw deer. We were already excited, and, and he starts getting ahead of me. And I had to say to him several times, slow down. We're not in a race. And I had to say, if you go too fast, I won't be able to make it. Why? I got bad knees. I got a bad ankle. I'm sick. I wasn't in good shape. I told him, I said, if you go slow enough, I'll be okay. But if we push it too hard, we'll have to turn around. Had I tried to give it everything I had, I might have made it a half a mile, and Brother Mud would have had to call Star's Ambulance to come pick Pastor Rice up off the side of a mountain. I had to go slow. Christian, I'm not saying that we have to, every moment of our life, we have to be pushing and pushing and pushing. I believe we need to be, there's time to rest, there's time to be recharged. We have to have that balance. But I'm afraid we've got out of balance. We've got out of balance and we're at ease in Zion. And we've lied to ourselves. And although, yes, there's, as Brother Troll would say right before, he would see Jesus face to face. There's so much more to do. Let's wake up. Let's get up. And let's obey the Great Commission. Let's go. Let's do the work that God has for you and God has for me here in this local church. Let's partner together with men like Brother Troll and other men and ladies around the world serving Christ, may we be partners serving here. Not at ease in Zion, but busy doing more. Let's pray together. Lord, I thank you for the opportunity we have. We who aren't worthy, we who we looked at this morning are unprofitable. And yet, Lord, as Paul reminded us, you've counted us worthy. Not because of who we are, but because of who you are. Not because of our work, but because of your righteousness. Not because of our potential, but because of your power. 
Lord, I confess myself. Lord, so often I get at ease in Zion. So often, Lord, I'm prone to believe the lies of the devil. If somebody else can do it. But I've got lots of time. Lord, we believe the lie that it's not worth it, that it's not valuable. But Lord, there's much more to do. Lord, there's some here tonight who have lost moms and dads. They have brothers and sisters who are lost without Christ. Lord, someday soon it's going to be too late for them. Lord, I pray that we would get out of our ease and our rest and we would see there's much to do. Lord, every moment somebody steps off into eternity, either heaven or hell. Lord, how often are we concerned? How often do we even question? How often do we ever present the gospel? How often do we tell the good news that we know, that we answer, we have, which is Christ? Lord, would you shake us tonight? God, would you set the alarm off in our heart? And God, would we get up and get busy? And quit being at ease in Zion. And quit listening to those lies. And may we see there's much to do. For the sake of eternity. For your glory. Lord, I pray that it be the case. Lord, just work in hearts. Thank you for allowing us to be a part of the greatest business in all the world. Your business. The business of loving people enough to share Christ with them. Lord, may we be busy about our Father's business. In your precious name we pray. Would you stand with us? But the Colton, would you lead us in a song of invitation? Join me in singing number 296. Lord, I'm coming home. Number 296.
pray. Father, we thank you for your love for us. And Lord, we, uh, as your word says in Corinthians, that your love compels us, uh, constrains us uh, to serve you, Lord. Uh, Lord, I pray you'd help us, Lord, to uh, be more faithful to serve you each day, to remember that the time is short, our life is a vapor. And Lord, I pray uh, for your help in these things. In Jesus' name, amen.